Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. We are continuing our series in Daniel as we learn to navigate living in a world that is hostile to our faith. Today, I want to talk about navigating a world that often leaves us feeling attacked and powerless. In my main job in life, I'm a professor up at Summit Pacific College, where I work with young people. I, I oversee the undergraduate and graduate programs for those that are trained to be youth workers in our community and our churches. And I've been working with teens since I was a teenager myself. There is something wonderful about being part of their discipleship, but the most important teenage discipleship in my life is that of my kids. It's not just spiritual discipleship, it's life discipleship. I love watching my kids lead, live life. In fact, I love it when I watch my daughter Olivia lead worship or preach at youth, and, and in, in some sense, there's a sense of me says, look, look at what I've done, look at what I've produced. I love watching my son play hockey and good hip check or good body check, slap shot from the point. I love it, and, and I watch him, and in some way, I'm thinking, look at, look at what I did. But the reality is that though I am a part of their lives, and yeah, they are my children, it's really God who's gifted them. It's really God who's enabled them. They are just living the path and walking out the path that God has laid before them. And as they grow older and they move towards graduation, Olivia's graduating this year and then Isaiah the next year and, and going to college and moving out of the house, I'm having to learn how to let go of control. When they were younger, I wanted to control every element of their lives. But now as they're older, I have to let them go driving on their own and go off with their friends on their own and go to college on their own. And that's, that's difficult for me because in my life, I like to have a sense of control. And I don't like parts of my life where there's elements of no control. But you know what? In our lives, there are so many areas of our lives that we wish we were in control, but we aren't. We especially feel this as a parent. We live in a world where social media and the, the government education seem to have more influence in the lives of our kids than we do. We don't really have a say of what's going on. We feel powerless about the changes that are happening in our culture all around us, the changes in, in the way people think, the changes in the way people act. Right? Maybe, maybe you're a teenager or a, ch or a child here or, and you're, you're thinking, you know what, I don't have any power anyways. My parents make all the decisions. My teachers make all the decisions. The feeling of powerlessness is a terrible feeling, and nobody likes to feel it. I think this is one of the reasons why we love revenge movies in North American culture. It's because when somebody hurts my family, when somebody hurts someone I love, I can go after them. I, I, I might be a, an ex-Marine or some ninja, or I have these, these skills that allow me to go and get revenge and make myself feel better and take care and protect my family. Because we don't like to feel powerless. Right? This is why the comment section of the internet is so popular and can be so terrible because people want to feel that they have a voice. It's naturally, it's inert in us in, or innate in us that we want to feel heard, that we want to be seen. This is why social media is so significant in our culture because with YouTube and TikTok and, and, TikTok and Instagram, we can be heard, our message can be heard by anybody, by everybody in the world at any time. 
It helps us feel like we have a voice. It helps us to feel like we have power. But in the culture we live in, the culture that is slowly, and not even slowly anymore, moving away from Christian values, we as followers of Christ are probably feeling more and more powerless and even at times attacked because things aren't the way that we would want them to be and we don't feel like we have a say in it. Well, today in our study of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 in particular, we're going to see that it reveals to us that we are not alone in this feeling of powerlessness in our culture. You see, Daniel was being considered for the top job in this new Persian empire. Daniel was probably in his 80s. And he had, he had lived through the Babylonian era of 70 years of a foreign, he had been in Judah and they came and they took him and his buddies out and they, and they put them in this foreign court and they had to learn all these, this new language and, and how to, to live there. And, and God was blessing him in that. And then another empire comes in, another king, another culture that he has to adapt to. And even in that, he succeeds, and we see that even though he was being considered probably for the top job in that empire, he still lacked the power to save himself or make change. See, this story tells us that the power resides only in God. This story is a reminder for the Israelites who are in exile that God is in charge. It's a story of hope. And for us, for you and me, it is a reminder that no matter what is going on around us in our culture, culture or in our personal lives, God is still in charge. No matter what is going on around us in culture or in our personal lives, God is still in charge. So I want to take a look here at the book of Daniel, chapter 6 particularly, and I want to look at some elements of this event. It's the event of Daniel in the lion's den. We might know this from our Sunday school days, or maybe if we didn't go to Sunday school, we might still be familiar with this story, Daniel and the lion's den. And there are some elements here that, that help us see how God is in control in Daniel's life, in the life of the Israelites, and in your life and in my life. So the first, the first uh, element is what I would call opposition. This is found in chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. And I'm, I'm just going to read portions of Scripture as we go along here. But it says in verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was living a life of success. He had, again, this was his third culture, the third place that he had had to live, and he had to adapt, and he had to change. And yet God was still blessing him, and he was a leader in the government, not just a leader, but one of the top leaders. And he was up for a promotion. You think life is going great. Life is fantastic. Everything is awesome. The, the chips are falling in the right place for Daniel. But when this happened, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was in him. He was faithful to where he was working, to where he was living. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. These other leaders, these other satraps and, and leaders with, and government officials, a satrap really is, is a government official, really, somebody who has set over a portion of, of a land in order to make sure that the king is not being ripped off, the money is coming in, and to protect it. Literally, it means the protector of the realm. 
Right? So they're there to make sure that the king gets his due from all these areas within uh, the Persian Empire. And they, they came together. Maybe it was because of jealousy. Maybe they were jealous Daniel was being promoted. There's also uh, a hint of anti-Semitism in here, of racism that later on they say, well, this is an exile from, uh, from Judah. This isn't really somebody who belongs here. Maybe they just didn't want him to succeed. Maybe they just wanted to put him down so they could be raised up. Whatever was happening, the leaders got together and plotted against him. Life was going amazing, and now it's not. Now things are going to change. Maybe Daniel felt in control, but now he doesn't feel in control. So they came against him, but here's what's interesting. Because of the way he lived his life, they couldn't find anything against him because he had an excellent spirit. And we know this spirit came from God because if we go back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it, it shares that God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and visions. God had put his spirit in him to do this particular um, task. And then later on in chapter 4, verse 8, when after he has interpreted a dream for one of the Babylonian kings, the king says, I can see that the spirits of the God dwell in Daniel. There was something significant about Daniel. And here what we see in this passage of scripture is a contrast between the spirit of God that dwelt in Daniel versus the spirit of jealousy that dwelt in the Persian leaders. Right? This competitive spirit that they have, a competitive spirit tends to tear others down. I want to put you down so I feel better. But Daniel didn't live by the spirit. Daniel lived by the spirit of God, an excellent spirit that allowed him to excel even in a foreign culture, even in a context that wasn't his home. The same spirit that lived in Daniel lives in us. That's what the Bible says, same spirit. My question to you and to, to all of us is what type of spirit are we cultivating? Are we cultivating an excellent spirit? Are we cultivating a spirit of opposition, a spirit of jealousy, a spirit of competitiveness to tear others down? One of the courses I teach at, at some of Pacific College is Christianity and culture. And this is, it's about the intersection of where Christianity meets culture. How do we live as, as faithful followers of Christ within this context, within, within a, a culture that, that doesn't re is really against Christianity in many ways? And one of the terms we talk about in that class is called syncretism. And really, syncretism is the combining of more than one belief system to form another. So we take this belief system, this belief system, and this one, and then we combine it together to come up with a new one. Right? We see this, this is happening in North America. There's something called um, moralistic therapeutic deism, which we see in North America. In Canada, it's, some, it's called universal, universal Gnostic uh, religious ethic. It's not even a belief system, but, it, but there's elements of it. And, and research has shown us that these two belief systems have formed out of various other belief systems. Right? So it would have been natural for ja Daniel to syncretize his faith to take elements of the Babylonian culture, elements of the Persian culture, and combine them with his Jewish faith. But instead, we know that he didn't because he was clearly identified by the other leaders because of his faith in God, right? They said, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God, he was faithful to God. So what this says to me, and hopefully it says to you, is that we have to learn to be intentional in cultivating an excellent spirit through spiritual practices. See, this excellent spirit is a spirit that is in tune with God, a spirit that reflects Jesus, that reflects the kingdom of God values that we, we, we teach here at Christian Life Community Church. So we do this, we, 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 we cultivate this, this spirit through spiritual practices, things like prayer, 
daily prayer, Bible reading, silence, solitude. There's many others where we can cultivate an excellent spirit, a spirit that's in tune with God and builds relationship. And you see, it's through these practices that we are then transformed to the image of Christ as Christ transforms us as we spend time in his presence. I want to suggest to you this morning that we develop these practices while life is good and they will sustain you through tough times. Develop them when they're good. Develop them when it's easy to develop them so that when the hard times hit, it's the natural for you to return to them. These spiritual practices cause us to slow down and they remind us that God is in control. They bring us to a place of submission. Just like Daniel, when he would get on his knees, he would prostrate himself before God. He would submit before God because it reminds us that God is in control, not us. We're always going to face opposition. We will naturally face opposition in this world because the spirit that lives in you and me is not the spirit that lives in this world. So remember this, no matter where you are, no matter what is happening to you, God is in control. So Daniel faced opposition. Daniel also faced deception. The other leaders, when they came to Darius, they, they, they came in agreement because Daniel was, uh, they came in agreement to, because Daniel was not complying to what they wanted or he, it, they wanted to take him out. And so they came, they got together and they said, how do we get Daniel? Well, let's find something. And then they came to the king and verse six says this, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. They came by deception. And we know this because, number one, Daniel wasn't there. Daniel didn't agree to this. He wouldn't have agreed to this because he knew, and we see later, that he is only going to pray to one God, and that was Yahweh, his God, the God of Israel, the God of his fathers. And so they came with, with deception. Not only that, we know, like, if you've ever been in a meeting with over 10 people, how do you get 10 people to agree on one, one idea? Well, there's 120 satraps, plus all the governors, plus all the, the counselors and all the prefects, and there's no way that they would have had agreement. So we know a group of individuals got together and in agreement decided to go to the king and say to him, listen, everybody believes this is right. And maybe they were, they were feeding on his ego as the king and uh, this idea that, hey, Darius, you are a god. You should be worshipped as a god. Don't let anybody else be, be worshipped. Maybe they were feeding on his, his need to feel like in control of his new kingdom, like he's a new king. Said, hey, listen, you can show you're in charge by not letting anybody else pray to anyone but you. You are in control, Darius. You are the king. There's no one greater. The other leaders use deception to make Daniel the bad guy. Maybe this has happened to you in your life. I know there's times this happened to me in my life. Maybe it's at work where somebody is, is, has misrepresented you to your boss or to other coworkers and it's caused tension and a rift. Maybe it's in a relationship and the relationship is broken. Maybe it's a marriage that is breaking because of deceit and because people have been misrepresented. Have, we have borne false witness about somebody else. Maybe it's on social media. You know, a few years ago, this would have been a young person, a teenager, a young adult problem, but everybody, most of us are on social media. And on social media, we see a lot of alternative facts, things that are not true that are being said they're true. People have used deception for a long time to turn others against others. Maybe people have used deception to turn others against you. Maybe you're hurting right now as you're watching this and you're listening. Because we live in a world that, that is great potential for deception. In fact, the potential for deception is unprecedented in our culture today. 
There's something called deep fakes. I don't know if you're aware of what a deep fake is and where this is technology has advanced so much that people can take your face and your voice and put you in a video in a place saying things, doing things that you've never done, have never said. And it looks real and you can't distinguish it except by through technology that it's not real. The potential for deception is unprecedented. People use that to hurt others, to get people fired, to, 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 to do harm in our culture. Because that's the spirit of this age, the spirit of jealousy, the spirit of competitiveness, the spirit of I need to be number one and it's all about me. It says I need to be in control and to be in control I need to hurt others and put others down. But that's not the spirit that God has in us. That's not God's spirit. God's spirit is in control. God's spirit is integrity and honesty. So remember this, this story is a story of hope, right? It seems pretty bleak right now for Daniel, but it's a story of hope. Because no matter where you are, no matter what is happening, God is in control. That's what we have to remember. That's what Daniel, this, this story of Daniel is reminding the Israelites. Right? And so he faced, Daniel faced opposition and he faced a deception, which probably led to a place of powerlessness. Verse 10 to 18, we see here where Daniel then uh, is confronted and he is taken before the king and, uh, and then he's thrown into the lion's den. A lot happens in this, this passage here. Um, but this is what is interesting. In verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open to Jerusalem. Not everybody had an upper chamber or a window facing Jerusalem, but Daniel had such a status that he had this and he humbled himself. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Daniel knew what he was doing when he continued his daily practice of prayer. He knew what he was doing. It was his habit. It was his spiritual practice. Daniel was up against a lot. The other leaders were colluding. Three times in chapter six, it says, and they came by agreement. They came by agreement to convince the king. They came by agreement to siege Dan to, to grab Daniel. They came by agreement again to before the king as they brought Daniel. There was collusion that was happening to hurt Daniel. Right? So he was up against all these leaders. And then when they brought him, the Daniel, to the king, so they grabbed him and they brought him to the king. And before they got to the king, um, they reminded him uh, that they said, oh, king, do you, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. There's no way out, right? According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And the king has been tricked. And so he's, he's upset. And the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, right? And not only were they up against this, Daniel was up against this law and against these leaders, they tried to discredit who he was and his integrity too. They said, they, they said to Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention. He doesn't give you heed. He's less than. He's, you can't really trust him because he's not really one of us. He's not really from here. What could Daniel do? There was so much against him. There was, there was, it felt, must have felt overwhelming. I, I can't even imagine how I would have felt if I was in that situation. I've been in situations where I felt powerless, but I can't even imagine how Daniel felt because he was innocent. We don't really know how Daniel felt and how he really responded in the situation because the writer doesn't really talk about that much. But what the writer does show us 
as how the king responded. And I find this interesting because what it goes on as when the king heard this, uh, it says he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The king tried all the day to save Daniel, but he was unable to. Earlier before, those satraps and leaders had come to the king and said, you're so great, nobody else should be praying to any other god but you because you are a god. But here he is now, not powerful enough to save Daniel, to change the law that he created. There's a theme of power and control here that's happening. The leaders are reminding the king that, that he actually is not in charge. The idea that the, the, this law could not be changed, it's, not, it, it, it's seen in other places in Scripture, in, in Esther, when there is a law that is made that the king cannot overdo, so he makes another law that allows the Jews to defend themselves. We also see later in history when a King Darius III, a Persian king, uh, he actually executes a man that he knows is innocent because he wasn't able to prevent it. You see, this law was absolute power. The law could not be undone. No one could save whoever disobeyed, not even the king. So here again, we see another contrast between the spirit of the age and the spirit of God in Daniel. Daniel was able to trust in God, but the king wasn't. In fact, as we go along further, we, say, we see um, that the king, the king spent, went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled him. This is after he had thrown Daniel in the lion's den. And he called out to Daniel and says, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. He was hoping, he was, he was wishing that this God would, would save Daniel, but he, he felt out of control. There's nothing he could do. So he spent a sleepless night. But Daniel was able to trust God because Daniel had been through situations like this before and Daniel had connection to God. Maybe there are, there are things in your life that, that are beyond your control. You know what? There will always be things in our lives that are beyond our control. They will make us feel powerless. There's a couple uh, hot topics in our culture that, that really, particularly as parents and adults, make us feel out of control, make us feel powerless. The idea of fluid sexuality and gender has risen up in the last decade. It's caused, it's, it, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of uh, mistrust. There's a lot of misinformation around all of these ideas. The, the idea of MAID, and maybe you're not familiar with this, but the government has, has created a law recently, uh, MAID is medical assistance in dying that has allowed those who are terminally ill and that death is imminent to access MAID, which allows them to, to have a more gentle or more controlled death. Well, the government is also trying to, has, has made it, so they're trying to uh, extend this beyond those that are just terminally ill, that are imminently dying, to those uh, with mental health uh, struggles. And they're also trying to um, even expand that further by allowing children and teenagers access to MAID. And here's what makes me feel powerless as a parent, as a follower of Christ, because we value all life, is that even even though a parent will be consulted if a child or a teenager wants to access made, it's ultimately the choice of the child. And we spend our whole lives protecting our children. And now we can't, we feel like we can't. So we need to do something. Well, sometimes the only thing we can do is pray. And I'm not saying this is a trite way, a trite answer, but I see, I see something in Daniel's life. Three times a day, he prostrated himself and prayed towards Jerusalem. Prayed probably for salvation of his people, of the exiles that were in, uh, in the Persian Empire at that time, in the Babylonian Empire. Prayed that God would restore his people. 
I think it's important for us to identify the areas of our lives where we feel powerless and practice giving them to God daily. Let's make it a habit. Identify the areas of your life when you feel powerless and practice giving them to God daily. My wife, Nellie, and I, we, we walked through a season of powerlessness as parents. Our youngest daughter, 14 years ago, passed away. She was 13 months. And the whole time we had her, we felt so powerless. Like there was nothing we could do to save her. We tried everything. Nellie was amazing because she had this binder. It was probably like that thick and had all the information, everything that was going on, every doctor appointment, all the stuff. Nellie knew more about Gracie than anybody else. When we'd go to a hospital, she'd say, they'd say, what's wrong? And she would just give them the binder. And they're like, wow. And they looked through it and then they would get it set up. And I remember one time when Gracie must have been about six months old and we were in the hospital and she had been seizing. She had epilepsy, developed epilepsy. She had been seizing for probably four hours straight. The doctors had tried everything. And finally, they turned Nelia and they said, there's nothing we can do. What do you think we should do? We don't know what to do. How about feeling out of control? Right? Feeling powerless. There's nothing I can do as a father to save my daughter. So we did the only thing we knew how to do. We turned to God and we prayed. You see, we're all going to go through situations like this. Now, my daughter passed away, but through her life and through her death, I've seen transformation. I've seen the grace of God. I've seen the gospel go to places it wouldn't have gone. We had, we, we had, a, we had an option. How were we going to respond And I thank God every day that we responded towards him. You see, how we respond to helpless situations is really a turning point for us. Are we going to remain faithful to God or are we going to walk away and say, you know what, I can't control this anyway, so I'm going to do things that I can control? Are we going to remain faithful like Daniel? Because no matter where you are, no matter what is happening to you, we please remember this, God is in control. Even when it doesn't feel like it, there is hope. This is a story of hope. Daniel felt powerless. Daniel was in a lion's den. He was going to be executed. There was no hope, but yet he had hope. And this is a story of hope. So Daniel faced opposition. Daniel faced deception. And Daniel was powerless. But these three elements led to the fourth element, which is proclamation. In in verse 19 to 27, the king goes to, uh, the, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion, den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. God had done what the king could not we see here in this, this passage uh, of verse 19 to 27, there's two proclamations of witness. There's a proclamation from Daniel, right? O king, live forever. My God sent an angel. He shut the mouths of the lion. You know what? There was nobody around. Daniel could have taken that glory for himself. Yeah, you know what? I'm okay because I saved myself. Look, the lions didn't touch me. I had the power. He could have taken that credit, but he didn't. He gave the glory to God for the situation that he was in. He was able to witness to God's salvation for himself. The second proclamation we see is the proclamation of the king, a pagan king who earlier before had said, nobody else can pray to anybody but me. He also gave God glory. 
In fact, we see in verse 25, the King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Right? He, this, this proclamation is going out to all the land, and this is what he proclaims about Daniel, that Daniel's God is the living God, enduring forever. Right? It's, not, it's, this, it's not just a God that's alive, but it's, it's an Old Testament title that indicates an active and powerful and awesome and almighty, a God who's involved in bringing judgment and blessing to his people. He says that, that, that his kingdom, his dominion will never end. It's forever. Right? This is a God who delivers. This is a God who works with signs and wonders. This is the God who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This story is about God's sovereignty over everything. He can do what no other can. We see here, again, the contrast between the spirit of the the age and the God of Daniel, the spirit of, of, of God, in that the king and the spirit of the age could not save Daniel, but God could because he is sovereign and he is great. What's interesting to me is that because of what happened to Daniel, the world would hear about God. I remember when we, when we were walking through our, our, our time with Gracie, our season with grace, we actually even call it a season of grace, is that there were people that were able to hear the gospel that maybe wouldn't have heard the gospel because of her life. Because Nellie would write all these updates and people from all over the world would tell us how that, that her life was touching their lives. That what God was doing in her, in our lives, was impacting them. So my question to you is, are there areas in your lives that you need to be giving glory to God? Maybe we take credit for ourselves over things that actually was God that did it. I want to I challenge you today and this week that you tell someone your story. You see, we all have stories of God's deliverance in our lives. Maybe you, it's time to share some of those. And they, no matter how small or insignificant they may seem, they are important. Share them with your, your care groups. Share them with your friends. Share them with your neighbors. Let God's name be glorified by the work that he is doing in our world through us. We used to have a time in church when I was younger. It was called testimony time of Sunday evening service. Those of you who remember Sunday evening services. And I remember one time I was a young child, um, not quite a teenager, and we had gone to Edmonton. My mom had taken my sister, my brother, and, my, and myself to Edmonton to visit our aunt and uncle. And we were on our way back, driving over the Coquihalla, just past, we'd just probably come past the, uh, the toll booth over the summit, and then we were on our way down back into the lower mainland. Uh, my dad wasn't with us because he was working. I mean, he hadn't been able to make the trip. But, but partway down, all of a sudden, the oil light came on in the car. And we, this is a beautiful, the beautiful Dodge Aries, 1987 probably, beautiful white boxy car. Uh, but... <laughs> It stopped working. And it, it, I felt bad for my mom because it had power steering. So she's trying to wrestle these, the car around the corners as we're going down this hill. But, but we, had, we had no engine. We had no power. And so we're all freaking out and crying and, and praying like crazy. We were praying like crazy. And we get near, closer to the bottom. And my mom just says, you know what? I'm going to pull over to this rest stop. And maybe somebody there will have oil. And we can put oil in and we'll, be, we'll go. Because we just felt like we ran out of oil. We didn't know what was going on. Uh, and... Uh, as we got down, we, we went down to the rest stop and all of a sudden the light went off and the car started up. And we're like, praise Jesus. And we, and we drove home. Now, you know, what's interesting about that is my dad is a mechanic. So if he had been there, he would have known what was wrong. He would have known what to do and he would have been able to control the situation, but we had no control. We, all we could do was trust in God. 
Well, that Sunday when we were at church in the evening, my mom, they asked for testimonies. My mom got up and she shared this story. And I sat there as a child looking at her and burned into my mind, burned into my soul was the faithfulness of God. Because she told her story, it impacted me and still impacts me today. And now maybe it will impact you. Because no matter where you are, no matter what is happening to you in your life, God is in control. What in your life are you trying to control instead of placing it into God's hands? Remember, in our, this story shows us, and in our lives, we have to remember that God is the main character. He is the one who is sovereign. God is sovereign. And even when it doesn't feel like God is in control. So remember this. Remember to build spiritual practices that keep you in tune with him. Remind yourself daily that he is in control. And tell others how God has worked in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us Jesus, who gives us the ultimate hope in life. That we know that no matter what goes on here in this world, that Jesus, you are sovereign over all of it. That you are in our lives, that you care for us, and that you love us. And so I pray for those that are, are, are watching and listening right now, God, that wherever they are, they would sense your presence, they would sense your spirit. And as they walk now in faithfulness in this culture, God, that they would remember that you are in control. So Spirit of God, I pray you would dwell in us and grow in us so that we would live by your spirit, not by the spirit of the world. Give us strength to follow you deepen our relationship with you as we spend time in your word and in prayer with you. Help us to tell your story. Give us the courage to share what you have done in our lives to the world around us so that your name would be glorified, that, you would, that your kingdom would come on this earth as it is in heaven. I thank you for your love and I thank you for your hope. May we feel your hope today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.